marking 25 years since the Beijing Action Plan to achieve parity in politics, and other stories. Hashtag Women Lead. Issue 16. Your weekly roundup on women in politics. Hello, and welcome to Issue 16. A recent analysis in Live Mint looks at a different side of Indian parliamentarians. Their hobbies, interests, and what they consider their favorite pastimes. Responses range from reading to sports, and traveling to music. While there wasn't any gendered analysis, the story found that cooking was mentioned as an interest only by four MPs, three of whom were women. Just a bite of trivia but it struck me nevertheless, you know why. Before I come to this week's quick updates, I wanted to share Kevin DeVoe's response to last week's edition about allowing elected representatives to vote on bills remotely during pregnancy and early parenthood. DeVoe, who tweets about parliaments around the world, said such flexibility is needed and would be good, but it could hurt those whom it is meant to help most. Not being in the room often carries the risk of being a second-tier MP, DeVoe added. It's difficult to disagree with Kevin there, but equally difficult to not hope for parliaments that can be representative, inclusive, and sensitive, all at the same time. What do you think? Tell us, we'd love your help in understanding this better. Now to this week's updates, deep dive, and other recommendations. If you missed last week's issue, I have linked it on screen. Quick updates. 1. Jamaica recently held elections for its 63-member parliament, and results were announced on Friday. 18 women have been elected, a record high in the country's parliamentary history. Women will now comprise almost 29% of the parliament, up from 17% in the previous house. Celebrating the results, some from the country took to Twitter to hope for more hashtag women in cabinet. We are totally with that sentiment. 2. Cote d'Ivoire will hold a crucial presidential election this October. The incumbent Alassane Ouattara, is seeking a third term, despite earlier promising he won't since the constitution does not allow for the same. The world will be watching closely, given that the previous transition of power led to widespread violence and the killings of at least 3,000 people. Challenging Uatara in his bid will be two women, Daniele Bonnie Clavery a seasoned politician, and Maria Karine Blardi a businesswoman and 2002 runner-up of the Miss Cote d'Ivoire beauty pageant. The country has never had a female head of state. The most powerful woman in the country's politics so far has been Simone Bagbo, who was first lady from 2000 to 2011, says a report in France 24. Hashtag we'll be watching. 3. Talking of first ladies, Japan seems to be a bit too curious about its next one. No, we are not kidding. After Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's decision to quit, one would expect speculation about who would succeed him. Well that is true, but we also spotted a peculiar hashtag on Twitter, thanks to at Melanie Brock's tweets you can see on screen, hashtag next first lady. This image is a screen grab of a TV show speculating who is going to be the next first lady of Japan. Brock also shared images of what the show thinks first ladies do, from pouring tea, to speaking on difficult subjects, and explaining details to constituents. Take a look on screen. Now waiting for a universe where people speculate about who the next first husband will be. 4. Buffy Wicks, a member of the California State Assembly in the USA, was recently denied the option of remote voting even though she is on maternity leave. This despite California having the option of remote voting for members who are high risk for the coronavirus. Wicks, whose baby was born with jaundice and needs to be regularly breastfed, was denied the option as she supposedly did not meet the requirements for such voting.
Wick's vote could have been the difference for a critical housing bill, so she brought her four-week-old daughter to the assembly so that she could breastfeed her in a separate room until her turn to speak and vote came. Watch her brief speech urging other members to vote in favor of the bill. The speaker later apologized for his decision. Deep Dive. Global. 25 years ago during this month, delegates, participants, and activists from around the world gathered in Beijing for a landmark conference on women's rights. Between September 4 and 15, 1995, they worked on what has come to be seen as one of the most significant agendas for advancing women's opportunities and access around the world. The Beijing Platform for Action. One of the goals set at the conference was to work towards women's equal access to, and full participation in, power structures and decision-making. How far have we come? Data from the International Parliamentary Union suggests there has been progress. While globally, women made up 11.3% of parliamentarians in 1995, the percentage stands at 249 in 2020. But that means three in every four parliamentarians around the world are still men. That is disturbing, isn't it? There are only four countries where women comprise half or more the membership of the parliament, Rwanda, Cuba, Bolivia, and United Arab Emirates. See this week's ROTW for the full report. As we have seen in the pages of this newsletter over the past few months, politics continues to be hostile towards women, and yet women continue to shatter stereotypes, barriers, and patriarchy in their own ways. One of the most famous speeches at the Beijing conference was delivered by Hillary Clinton. She had remarked, If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights, once and for all. Clinton recently wrote an essay for The Atlantic, where she looks back at that speech and takes stock of the progress made ever since. She points out that while significant progress has been made in many areas concerning women, politics continues to be a glaring gap. It's no coincidence that while we've made progress in areas traditionally associated with women, like health care and education, we've struggled to match that progress in the economy, politics, and national security. We all have images in our head of what a leader looks and sounds like. That image has been white and male for centuries, and changing it will take deliberate effort. 25 years after Beijing, it's no longer enough to talk about women's rights. We must augment women's power in every sphere, including government, the economy, and national security. Will we still be reading, watching, and writing about the same gaps 25 years from now? Hashtag let's hope not. Also read, let's make women's power culturally acceptable. Linked on screen. Reflections and reads. Links available on screen. First, read this interview of Tanzila Kambrani, the first Shidi member of the Provincial Assembly of Pakistan's Sindh Assembly. The Shidis are a minority group who trace their ancestry to slaves brought from East Africa to South Asia by Arab merchants between the 8th and 19th century. Second, of the 13 members North Carolina sends to the U.S. Congress, only two are women. Women make up a fourth of the members of the state legislature and a third of the elected executive offices. Anna Lynch explores the numbers and the way forward. That's it from us for this week. Do write back with thoughts, comments, and feedback. We'll see you next weekend with Issue 17. Hello, and welcome to Issue 16. A recent analysis in Live Mint looks at a different side of Indian parliamentarians. 
their hobbies, interests, and what they consider their favorite pastimes. Responses range from reading to sports, and traveling to music. While there wasn't any gendered analysis, the story found that cooking was mentioned as an interest only by four MPs, three of whom were women. Just a bite of trivia but it struck me nevertheless, you know why. Before I come to this week's quick updates, I wanted to share Kevin DeVoe's response to last week's edition about allowing elected representatives to vote on bills remotely during pregnancy and early parenthood. DeVoe, who tweets about parliaments around the world, said such flexibility is needed and would be good, but it could hurt those whom it is meant to help most. Not being in the room often carries the risk of being a second-tier MP, DeVoe added. It's difficult to disagree with Kevin there, but equally difficult to not hope for parliaments that can be representative, inclusive, and sensitive, all at the same time. What do you think? Tell us, we'd love your help in understanding this better. Now to this week's updates, deep dive, and other recommendations. If you missed last week's issue, I have linked it on screen. Quick updates. 1. Jamaica recently held elections for its 63-member parliament, and results were announced on Friday. 18 women have been elected, a record high in the country's parliamentary history. Women will now comprise almost 29% of the parliament, up from 17% in the previous house. Celebrating the results, some from the country took to Twitter to hope for more hashtag women in cabinet. We are totally with that sentiment. 2. Cote d'Ivoire will hold a crucial presidential election this October. The incumbent Alassane Ouattara, is seeking a third term, despite earlier promising he won't since the constitution does not allow for the same. The world will be watching closely, given that the previous transition of power led to widespread violence and the killings of at least 3,000 people. Challenging Ouattara in his bid will be two women, Daniele Boniclavery a seasoned politician, and Maria Karine Blardi a businesswoman and 2002 runner-up of the Miss Cote d'Ivoire beauty pageant. The country has never had a female head of state. The most powerful woman in the country's politics so far has been Simone Bagbo, who was first lady from 2000 to 2011, says a report in France 24. Hashtag we'll be watching. 3. Talking of first ladies, Japan seems to be a bit too curious about its next one. No, we are not kidding. After Prime Minister Shinzo Abe's decision to quit, one would expect speculation about who would succeed him. Well that is true, but we also spotted a peculiar hashtag on Twitter, thanks to at Melanie Brock's tweets you can see on screen, hashtag next first lady. This image is a screen grab of a TV show speculating who is going to be the next first lady of Japan. Brock also shared images of what the show thinks first ladies do, from pouring tea, to speaking on difficult subjects and explaining details to constituents. Take a look on screen. Now waiting for a universe where people speculate about who the next first husband will be. 4. Buffy Wicks, a member of the California State Assembly in the USA, was recently denied the option of remote voting even though she is on maternity leave. This, despite California having the option of remote voting for members who are high risk for the coronavirus. Wicks, whose baby was born with jaundice and needs to be regularly breastfed, was denied the option as she supposedly did not meet the requirements for such voting. Wick's vote could have been the difference for a critical housing bill, so she brought her four-week-old daughter to the assembly so that she could breastfeed her in a separate room until her turn to speak and vote came. Watch her brief speech urging other members to vote in favor of the bill. The speaker later apologized for his decision.
Deep Dive. Global. 25 years ago during this month, delegates, participants, and activists from around the world gathered in Beijing for a landmark conference on women's rights. Between September 4th and 15th, 1995, they worked on what has come to be seen as one of the most significant agendas for advancing women's opportunities and access around the world. The Beijing Platform for Action. One of the goals set at the conference was to work towards women's equal access to, and full participation in, power structures and decision-making. How far have we come? Data from the International Parliamentary Union suggests there has been progress. While globally, women made up 11.3% of parliamentarians in 1995, the percentage stands at 24.9 in 2020. But that means three in every four parliamentarians around the world are still men. That is disturbing, isn't it? There are only four countries where women comprise half or more the membership of the parliament, Rwanda, Cuba, Bolivia, and United Arab Emirates. See this week's ROTW for the full report. As we have seen in the pages of this newsletter over the past few months, politics continues to be hostile towards women, and yet women continue to shatter stereotypes, barriers, and patriarchy in their own ways. One of the most famous speeches at the Beijing conference was delivered by Hillary Clinton. She had remarked, If there is one message that echoes forth from this conference, let it be that human rights are women's rights, and women's rights are human rights, once and for all. Clinton recently wrote an essay for The Atlantic, where she looks back at that speech and takes stock of the progress made ever since. She points out that while significant progress has been made in many areas concerning women, politics continues to be a glaring gap. It's no coincidence that while we've made progress in areas traditionally associated with women, like health care and education, we've struggled to match that progress in the economy, politics, and national security. We all have images in our head of what a leader looks and sounds like. That image has been white and male for centuries, and changing it will take deliberate effort. 25 years after Beijing, it's no longer enough to talk about women's rights. We must augment women's power in every sphere, including government, the economy, and national security. Will we still be reading, watching, and writing about the same gaps 25 years from now? Hashtag let's hope not. Also read, let's make women's power culturally acceptable. Linked on screen. Reflections and reads. Links available on screen. First, read this interview of Tanzila Kambrani, the first Shidi member of the Provincial Assembly of Pakistan's Sindh Assembly. The Shidis are a minority group who trace their ancestry to slaves brought from East Africa to South Asia by Arab merchants between the 8th and 19th century. Second, of the 13 members North Carolina sends to the U.S. Congress, only two are women. Women make up a fourth of the members of the state legislature and a third of the elected executive officers. Anna Lynch explores the numbers and the way forward. That's it from us for this week. Do write back with thoughts, comments, and feedback. We'll see you next weekend with issue 17.